I'm Taylor Smurl, and I'm an experienced bartender. And I'm Tommy Smurl, and I'm an experienced drinker. He's my dad, and together, this is... Me! A weekly booze cast. With history lessons, trivia, and a twist. So pull up a stool to the bar, and join us for the lowdown on your highball. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Hello there, Tater. I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. Uh, tell me, did you have anything nice to drink this week? Well, the fact that this is a booze cast, I feel responsible for drinking some type of booze each week. But unfortunately, this week I failed in my mission. <laughs> I think not, that's fine, you know? <laughs> I have not drank anything. I think as a booze cast, we shouldn't actually encourage that behavior. You know, responsible drinking. Always, please. Thank you. But, a weekend ago, I was still recovering from my illness, so I wasn't really back to drinking. And then nothing just seemed good this weekend. There just never seemed a chance to drink anything. I will tell you this, though, with some help from, you know, our family, my second bottle of Chinola is gone. Man, that <laughs> gone stuff is two short, of that. short-lived in your household. Yeah, and we got a lot of porn star converts around here now. Huntington's going to have a bunch of porn star aficionados around here because everybody we've served them to loves them, and they keep coming back for more. And I'm like, hey, you can get your own stuff and make them at your house. You don't <laughs> have to come get them from me. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, I'll even tell you where to order the stuff. Did you get did you get a vanilla vodka, or did you just do a vanilla yeah. syrup? Yeah, vanilla vodka. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then just lime juice, just those three ingredients in it. Comes out good. Let's say that's the thing with that chinola. You you know the classic recipe has both passion fruit juice and vanilla syrup, but I don't think you really need either of them if you have just good. No, because this is good and it's not too sweet. You know, mm-hmm. it, it and it really puts you in mind of a paper plane. You know, with the citrus it's very finish. Citrusy, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's it really puts you in mind of that, and there it's light and refreshing, just like it. It's just a different color. Yeah. But they really caught on here. How about you? Have you had any good beverages of note? Uh, Not. This was just a a hell of a week for me. I was doing a little, a little baby menu at work. Some uh, uh, not cocktails for babies. That would be illegal. Um, Yeah, that's not uh, good. No, but like uh, some some winter cocktails that I had to get up and run in, and it was also inventory week, which is always a bit hectic. But uh, but we were doing, you know, it's winter time, so we did like a coquito recipe. Uh, I've got one of my servers. Uh, she's she's, you know, born and raised. All her family's from Puerto Rico, so she was kind enough to give us her personal recipe. So yeah, really nice, authentic coquito on the menu. And uh, we discussed that this time last year. Yeah, yeah, we did a hot toddy, and then we also did this uh, hot chocolate. And as I was working on, you know, usually like if I'm working on a cocktail, I'll try. You know, I might like take some, some sips of it a few times. Like it's not, it's not hard on the system to try a regular cocktail a few times. Mm-hmm. Making a hot chocolate a few times. Like that's just, it's not the alcohol that's the problem. It's like, I just drink a lot of hot chocolate and I don't feel yeah. great. 
it's a very delicious hot chocolate cocktail, but it was just involved me taste testing with like a vendor and making like three different hot chocolates. And I was like, I just, the problem is that I just drank three hot chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> Not much alcohol. I like hot chocolate. There's a lot of hot chocolate. I like hot chocolate. I, you know, honestly, like my it. favorite, you can't do it anymore because it's hard to find, but hot chocolate with some Saint or with some uh, green chartreuse in it is beautiful. But for alcohol, hot chocolate sounds good. Yeah, that was good. We're doing a little, it's a little coconut, uh, coconut rum in it and, uh, some like spice chili liqueur. So it's like a spicy coconut hot chocolate. It's really nice. Mm, that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the other thing that I did sip on a little this week, uh, cause finally got, it was cold and rainy in New York. Mm-hmm. Where's coming? I would rather it snow than just rain, but, oh, uh, no snow, no snow. Oh, I prefer snow, but I had, I did have a little, a little nip of some scotch uh, for mm. the first time of the winter. So I yeah. thought, I thought, you know, it's that time of year. You want something, you want something strong. You want something warm. Maybe you want something a little smoky. I thought we could talk about, I think one of the most like readily available, but like consistently good uh, peated scotches on the market. And that is Lefroy. Lefroy. Yeah. So are you familiar with Lefroy Dad before this episode? Were you familiar at all? Absolutely not. I had to have you spell it for me because I couldn't even make out how it should be spelled hmm. from what you were telling me. I'd never heard of it. And I, I'm not a scotch drinker. I really have not. I've tasted scotch before, but it never has been something that I've been interested in. Hmm. So it was completely foreign to me and all new. As usual, you're always teaching me something. Well, you know, I know we've, we've mentioned scotch here and there. Um, I think like several years ago when, uh, when our, our previous co-host Liz was involved, we did a little bit about peated scotch, but, uh, I thought it was a good time for a refresher. And, you know, especially this time of year, we're all trying to like find nice gifts. A good bottle of scotch is a, is a great gift. You know, they have those beautiful, I love the liquor stores put out the, you know, like the glass sets that they do where it's like the bottle and like the two glasses. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just so you know, if you've never inquired about those, those are almost exclusively the same price as just the bottle on its own. The little glassware, whatever cute, if it comes with a decanter, that's always free product. Those are those are just gift sets designed to sell the booze. So if you've ever been in a liquor store and like, oh, I, I would love to get that, but I bet it's expensive. It's not any more expensive than the bottle of, of spirit itself. It's a great gift set. I guess if somebody gave you for Christmas a bottle of this peated Scotch whiskey and you re- you gave it to somebody else, that would be a repeated Scotch <laughs> whiskey gift. Mm, yeah, that's what that would be. But who who would re-gift some Scotch whiskey? Somebody didn't drink Scotch. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So so just briefly, uh, when we say Scotch, what do we mean? Uh, well, it's whiskey. It's the whiskey minus the E. Uh, and it's made in Scotland. Um, it must be made from malted barley, water, and yeast. Although, depending on what type of scotch we're talking about, other grains can be allowed. Uh, it has to be aged for at least three years, and it can't have any additives except for it could be obviously diluted with water, and it can have some caramel coloring in it. Now, when we talk about Lafroy, we're specifically talking about a single malt scotch, and single malt, that definition is a little bit more precise. It is a whiskey distilled at a single distillery, from water and malted barley without the addition of any other cereals and by batch distillation in pot stills. So no blending, no mixing. You have your batch that's sort of complete all the way through. 
Now, now can it be aged in barrels? Yeah, it's all, yeah. So it's always aged in barrels. Yeah, you don't have <laughs> you don't have fresh out the still scotch. Whiskey. Pour it right out of there. <laughs> no. Uh, the the three year age statement still applies, although you know usually we're talking single melt. You'll see more like eight, ten, fifteen. Like the the standard Lafroy that most people can afford is the ten, but uh, but you know that's always aged. So it's not um, like in the pot last week and in your glass this week. No, no, there are things that are similar <laughs> to Scotch that are made that way, which we'll get into. But uh, like Scottish moon, moonshine does exist, mm-hmm. but uh. Now, the, the last term that I think matters when we're talking about what is Lafroy, it's a single malt scotch. It's also a peated scotch. And do you know what that term means, Dad, when I say peated? They add peat to it. Okay. Is that Did right? It? It, well, it, yeah, sort of. Um, is it peat moss? It's, it's peat, yes. It's, peat isn't like distilled with it. It's used, the most, the, the biggest part that impacts the flavor is that it's used to smoke to dry out the barley. So, um, oh, what they peat, don't put it in the liquid. No, peat is the, it's the spongy material comprised of decayed compressed moss and other plant matter that's sourced, sourced from the depths of bogs, right? So they cut mm-hmm. out this compressed vegetal matter from peat bogs. Um, and, uh, and that's just, I don't know, it's a bog. It's a massive field of water that have just retained layers of peat buildup over centuries. Now, during the Bronze and Iron Age, the bogs were host to ritual sacrifices in Scotland, England, and Ireland, and Germany. Mm. Uh, the unique acidic conditions of the bogs act as a perfect preservative. And, uh, you know, you've heard of like bog bodies. I've uh, heard of bog bodies. Yeah. And it's the same, same bog. We, we got a body here. We got some peat here. You know, you can. Put that guy in a museum. Use this guy for your whiskey. Uh, but so dad punk- bods too. I've heard of that. <laughs> That's that, those are not. I don't. I guess if you put a dad bod in a peat bog, you got a dad peat bog. bog, bog. That's hard to say. Dad peat bog. I don't know what I'm trying to say a peat bog dad. I don't know. That's that's a whole other that's a that's a single that's variety of scots. That's a limited edition. Uh, <laughs> no, so hunks of peat they're cut out from the bog and they're left to dry, and they were discovered that to be an excellent fuel source. Um, this dates back to the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, you can kind of think of it as like it's a cousin to coal. You know, we understand that mm-hmm. coal is like condensed organic matter, right? Mm-hmm. So right. peat is is similar. It doesn't burn as long, but it, it it burns much longer than wood. It's very hot, and it makes an excellent fuel source. So, um, and peat can come into the creation of scotch. Uh, sometimes the groundwater will be accredited for it to a certain degree, like. The water that rushes through the peat mm-hmm. that is then used in distillation will carry a bit of peat flavor. Um, the the peat when it's used literally to to heat the stills, like oh that's going to infuse with it. But the real culprit of the peaty flavor uh, comes with the involvement of peat in dry and malted barley. So malted barley, that's obviously barley that has been malted, and and that just means mm-hmm. that like. Barley grain, when you put it in warm, damp environments, it's sort of tricking it into believing it's springtime. So it's going to start converting its starches into sugars in preparation to convert those sugars into cellulose and grow roots and leaves. It's gonna, it thinks it's going to be a plant, right? Aha, little yeah. does it know. Because you want that sugar to start being made. Uh, but what you do is you interrupt that process once that sugar conversion takes place and you dry it out and you, you heat, you set the peat on fire. You smoke that peat and dry mm-hmm. out the barley with the peat smoke. You so smoke that's, that peat. 
Yeah, that's where that's where the barley in, takes in the flavor of the peat smoke, and that's really what brings it into the scotch. Well, I did see in the article where they said that there's like there's a typical supplier for a lot of it for the peat for them, mm. but they feel that the peat that they have on their property is a superior peat to the one you that most distillers use, so they use their own homegrown peat. Yeah. It's like why why New York bagels are superior. It's our it's our funky New York hard water that goes into the bagel making. You just can't. That's what it is? You can't get that anywhere else. L.A. Mm-hmm. L.A. keeps trying to make bagels. I don't know why. Um, yeah. So so this is this this peat smoke. Uh, when we talk about scotch, you know, a lot of people think all scotch is peaty, all single malt scotch is peaty. That's not true. There's absolutely unpeated scotch. Um, it's just it. it it was originally up until like the 1700s. It was kind of the only way of making scotch in Scotland. And then as other heat sources became readily available, things like Coke and coal, uh, it became more of a flavor preference. Like you can do it without it, but if you like the flavor, keep using the peat. Yeah. I would think that that's a, I don't know. That seems like a better product to use than coal or something. I mean, you can, you know, if you've tasted unpeated scotch, some people really love unpeated scotch. They, they like, it's a little sweeter. It's a little, you know, it's, it's can be a little bit more like, to me, it's almost, it's not comparable exactly to like bourbon versus rye, but it's the same kind of idea. Like you've just got different qualities. Some are softer, some are spicier, some are harder, some are softer. It's all preference. I, I love super peaty, smoky, band-aidy scotch. Some people hate it. It's just about your palate. Um, yeah, but distillation was first noted in Scotland in 1494. Um, it was probably introduced by Christian monks, uh, first from Italy and then they spread to Ireland and then they eventually got to Scotland. And, you know, we talked about this, the monks were the, you know, the, the monks are the leaders in alcohol production. They yeah. started it everywhere, <laughs> whether it's beer or alcohol or limoncello or whatever. Well, know, Technically speaking, in terms of distillation, it was Islamic sculpture, uh, scholars in what is modern-day Iraq and Iran who created distillation hmm. in the 900s. But yes, the first people to go like, that's nice that you can use that for antiseptics and perfume, but we want to make booze with it. Those were the monks. Yeah. <laughs> that was in Europe. We're doing it in the name of God. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Muslim scholars like, no, 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 we're not going to make booze. We're going to make like things for cleaning and nice perfumes. And then it, it worked its way to the Italians and the Irish and the, and the British are like, nah, booze. Um, but, uh, but up through the 1500s, distillation stayed in the monasteries. Uh, this is when we get the, the term whiskey comes about this time. Not specifically, but, you know, we know we've talked about the term like aqua vitae, right? Like water of life. Mm-hmm. Or aquavita, like that's you know that term kind of gets it's a Latin term that gets sort of appropriated into Gaelic as uh, uskabeg, which means water of life. But uska uskabeg eventually becomes whiskey. We're just that first by that uska whiskey. That's where the word comes from. So it's just sort of a, hmm. a you know Canadian, that's the Gaelic term for it. Yeah, like it just was a, a evolution of that word mm-hmm. is where it comes from. Okay. Um, in uh, in 1536, uh, King Henry VIII uh, spearheaded the dissolving of monasteries, which sort of just allowed distillation knowledge to proliferate among the farmers and the working class. And, uh, and that led to, I guess, like a couple, to, to put it really 
condensed. So we don't make like a whole history of like illegal distillation in Scotland. It led to a few centuries of shenanigans. Well, sh- you know, <laughs> shenanigans are always going to occur when you take away the liquor. Well, yeah, you know, you had all of a sudden all these people could kind of understand distillation and the government, the, you know, the royal bodies were like, how can we tax this? How can we control this? And it was just all sorts of, you know, there was like some more legislation in the lowlands and the highlands. And there were, there were small rebellions and responses to it. It, it. it took a while. It took all the way up to the 1800s to really start to legislate uh, the booze that was being made in Scotland. It's a, it's a tale as old as time, right? That happened everywhere. <laughs> well, and they said that Lafroig that got there uh, kind of got a jump on it because the whole area there was being settled, and the guy that was in charge—I don't know what his uh, title was, whether he was a governor or whatever—he knew that they needed some business going on there, and he kind of gave them a wink and a nod and said, "Go start some distilleries." <laughs> Well, yeah, they really did. Like, like you have in eighteen fifteen is when Lefroy, which is a distillery, but they also are like, oh, we're gonna maybe do some cattle ranging, and then we'll distill. Like, you when you have cattle, you've got to grow crops to feed the cattle, grow barley, and then mm-hmm. it was a common practice if you got a little left over, distill it. So mm-hmm. they they set up ostensibly to do that, but it was really like not long. It was like uh, what is it the eighteen uh, twenty that the the illicit distillation act is laid down in scotland and that makes basically distilling selling or drinking unlicensed booze incredibly illegal penalties become super high and this was paired with a reduction in duty charge for licensed distilleries so yes they cracked down on illegal distilleries but they also made it way cheaper and way easier to be licensed and have your own distillery they encouraged legal distilling yeah, so so Lafroy had already set up its roots by then. Like, oh, we're just a couple cattle farmers. Like, yeah. we're just now now they're like ready to go. Yeah, they were ready to go, and and the, the guy that like say that guy that was the governor there, he he knew all about distilling, so they couldn't pull the wool over his eyes. So he knew what a good distiller looked like, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he helped he helped get that underway. One that the the founders were were a pair of brothers. I think that happens a lot, right? It's mm-hmm. a couple brothers get together and yeah. <laughs> and then what do they talk about drinking? Yeah, uh, you had Donald and Alexander Johnston, um, and uh, and yeah, like again, they they like started off just thinking well, maybe we'll be some farmers, do some cattle, but uh, they had a couple things that worked for them. It was one this sort of changing political landscape around Scotch. Uh, two, they happened to just set up shop on the beautiful Kilbride stream. That's was their water source, which is this incredibly, this, this magical water that made fantastic whiskey. Um, and, uh, and that sort of the name Lefroy, uh, it just, it means like broad hollow by the bay just sort of describes the distillery's location on, uh, Eiley's South coast. But, uh, mm-hmm. They just kind of had the the right combination of timing and influence and natural surroundings to take off. And then one of the brothers, he ended up dying there, fell into a boiling pot of brew. Yes. Well, uh, so Alexander sold his half of the distillery to Donald, 
Donald was the one that really wanted to go forward with this whole let's make Scots thing. And Alexander took his bit of coin and was like, nah, I think I want to move to Australia, but good luck. Uh, and then a few years later in 1847, Donald fell into a vat of partially made whiskey and drowned. So a family tragedy there. Uh, his only living heir was his 11 year old son. Um, and, uh, also the other, you know, he had an uncle out there. There was a, there was a farmer that kind of helped out. There were some people that stepped in and were caretakers until the boy was eventually old enough to take it back over. Um, but I mean, I don't, for, they, they did the job because they helped it grow. Uh, and, uh, and even like become a significant enough produ- producer of whiskey to make a deal with another neighboring distillery, which is, it's, you know, I noticed this in the Lafroy like little article they have on their website. They specifically mm-hmm. refer to the other distillery as Mackie and Co. They mm-hmm. don't call it what it is more commonly known as, which is Lagavulin, <laughs> which is a well-known oh. Scotch producer today. Yeah. So this is this is Scotch beef from back yeah. in the day, but they were kind enough to leave out the more recognizable name. Now, he, here's what I saw that I thought was interesting is he actually passed it on to Ian Hunter, who was a nephew of his, a young nephew of his, and he ran it, but he was never married and was childless. So when he died, he left it to the secretary. Yeah. He, well, that- he left the plant to the secretary and the secretary kind of like led the whole thing because she knew how everything worked because they said he traveled a lot. So she knew how everything worked. She ran the plant from 1954 until into the 60s, where they sold it to a larger company. Yeah. Well, that he came. Ian came a little bit after. Like it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't directly after. Uh, after Donald. Donald. Fell on the bat. No, Donald no, there were a couple. Scotched. He was the last of, of the bloodline. Ian Hunter was, but yeah. between that, they had their their epic beef with Mackie and Co., which was mm-hmm. basically. When they first got started, the concept of like single malt scotch of, of unblended scotch really was not a thing. So they sold off a lot of their product to Mackie Co. Um, and as their Lafroy, the name got more popular, uh, they had to like dissolve this conflict with Mackie Co. And they, they went to court to make sure that they could keep their lion's share. And, uh, the other, the other distillery, was real sour about them winning that court case. So they, they tried to, they tried to take them back to court. They lost. And then in retaliation, a few years later, they bricked up Mackie and co bricked up their stream. They bricked up the, the water source that supplied Lafroy's water. Wow. Courts got involved again to free up the illegally restrained waterway. Um, mm-hmm. Mackie went as far as to try to mimic. They, they like replicated their still, their storehouse, their brewing techniques. They uh, siphoned off their head distiller to try to replicate mm-hmm. Lefroy and that still still didn't work out and that but but all of those legal batter, battles and we're at this point we're up until the 1900s uh really took a toll on Lefroy and it was yeah mm-hmm. it was Ian Hunter that finally came back into the fold and really kind of saved the distillery um he was savvy he 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 managed to sort of work his way out of the any of the overcrossings with the Mackinco contracts um he expanded the operation. He modernized it. And he really, his thing too, was really focusing on an international marketplace. Like he's yeah. the one that opened it up. I mean, he made headways in America during prohibition as like, if you're going to sneak in something, sneak in the fraud. 
Well, they had three stills running at the start of when he took over. And by the time they sold it, they were up to seven, which um, the seven stills produced about three million liters a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the significant characteristics that we now associate with the Freud, which is that it's it's aged in American ex-bourbon barrels. It mm-hmm. This originally was using sherry casks, but um, uh, Hunter was one that, you know, during during wartime, uh, it became increasingly hard to get the Spanish sherry casks. So he's the one that made the deal to switch off to the American barrels. And that became standard moving forward. And that was that was part of what when he handed over to Bessie Williamson, the, the secretary, that was part of what she carried on were the, mm-hmm. the, you know, sort of new traditions that he put in place. Well, and then they had another process that they added in to where they would put the scotch into smaller barrels because they said that gives it more exposure to the surface of the barrel and adds more flavor to it from those oak bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would recast it into smaller casks for a while and then put it back in the larger ones again. Yeah. Well, and you know, they like a lot of the, the, the continuation of Lafroy, definitely a lot of the credit goes to uh, Ian Hunter, but definitely to Bessie Williamson as well, as well. I mean, at the time, we're talking, she took over the company after his death in 1954, and she's listed among like one of the first women in whiskey, and that was unprecedented at the time that this company would be handed over to a woman. And she absolutely, I mean, she, yeah, she did, she did sell it in the 60s, but like, you know, for for mass profit and not before one of the the biggest contributions she made was making it really kind of integral to Eiley. Like she worked to, you know, establish like a lot of community events, like opening the distillery at nighttime for like dances, like being part of like peat cutting ceremonies, like annual peat cutting ceremonies, making sure that like that was an honored tradition at Lafroy. Um Like just really tying it to the people and to the land of of Eiley, which you see in like the future several generation of head distillers have all been local people that live and work there. And that, that that's a big part of the Lafroy tradition is that it's, it is made by the people that live there, which I think is a testament to Bessie Williamson's contribution. When they have some type of deal um, where they sell like a, a square foot of <laughs> land. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Technically. <laughs> Well, they, they sell you that and you have it and you are once a year, you, well, I don't know if they sell or they lease it to you, I guess is what it is. So you have to pay that every year to lease yours and you get like one ounce or something of scotch, a little small bottle of it, but you have to go there to get it. They're not going to ship it out to you. No, they, that start. Yeah. That started in 94. Um, actually the same year that, uh, what is it? Prince Charles. Gave it a, a a royal warrant, which, as we've learned, is just basically a, a royal person saying, "I really, really like this thing." Here's a paper that says, "I really, really like this thing." <laughs> yeah, it's like the official beer of the NFL. Only over yeah. there, it's the of the prince, which is now the king. Yeah, you know, in 1994, he said, "I, I mean, like had... this scotch. It's my favorite. I'll warrant it." No, nope. that's but you know whatever. So it's a, it's a, it's a it's a major award that same year. Yeah. They started the, what is it? The friends of Lafroy program, which it's changed. I will say it's gotten, I don't want to, I, I love Lafroy. So it's my favorite go-to, like if I'm treating myself scotch, so I don't want to talk any shit, but I, the friends of Lafroy program has downgraded because it used to be, you would get your little QR code, you get your plot of land. And that was a lifetime guarantee. Like 
you could mm-hmm. go once a year and get your little dram. Now mm-hmm. they've changed it. Now there's like a tiered membership thing and mm-hmm. it's all convoluted. It's not as cool as it used to be, but it is still cool. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice idea. I think they realized at some point that if we sell even just one square foot of, of land or at least one square foot of land and pay your rent in booze, we, we can't, we can't keep that up. It's like the people that sell pizzas of the sky, right? Like this, yeah. if we want to do this legitimately, we can't do it this way. Well, it's like the Green Bay Packers. They're owned by all the people of the city, all the stock in the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think uh, it stands out as, um, I mean, it's a massively producer. I, I think this day and age, especially when we see so many beloved brands have their prices affected by the secondary market. Lafroig stands outside of that. And I think part of that is just because of the scale of their production. Like they make a lot of it. So it can't really be impacted in the same way. Like, you know, uh, a few mm-hmm. months ago, we were talking about chartreuse. Um, uh, but it's a good, it's also a good, like, to me, it, it feels like luxury for for a middle-class person, right? Like it's a $60 bottle of scotch. You're not going to, if you've got that, that really nice dinner party to go to that really nice Christmas present, you're going to get for somebody like, it's still affordable. You can still, and it's, and it's guaranteed a good product, a beloved product. Is it the most expensive scotch on the marketplace? Absolutely not. But it is always going to be solid, good, peaty, fantastic. Yeah. So don't repeat it. Keep it. I can't imagine somebody being like, this bottle? No, I'm not going to use this. <laughs> I would probably, if somebody gave it to me, I'd probably say, okay, I got it. I'm going to drink it. Not all at once. I'll just bring out a sip on special occasions. I mean, that's that's what I, you know, I again, like I've had the same bottle for probably a year and a half because I don't, I don't make a habit of drinking lots of it, but, uh, but. I've had a hard, hard day at work. And I'm like, I think I just don't even want to, like, I don't want to drink a lot. I want to have a little sip and go to bed. And that's the perfect space for it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so if you're, if you're curious about scotch or you just want something to keep you warm, um, it's also great. Also, I will say from the cocktail endpoint, uh, Lafroy is the one that comes up a lot. When we talk about like uh drink, like the penicillin first popular uh, scotch cocktail. The bulk of it's made with blended scotch, but then you top it with a little float of single malt scotch. We're almost exclusively talking about, I mean, we don't call it Lafroy, but we're talking about peated scotch. You want the peat. That is the flavor you're looking for. So when we do like a scotch float or, you know, a little scotch mist in your glass, it's probably a peated scotch and it's probably Lafroy. So it's a great cocktail ingredient. Even if you're not a big fan of sipping it on its own, it's a great way to add that very earthy, dirty, but not in a bad way, but like rich, earthy, dirt flavor, smoky flavor with a little float, a little half ounce, quarter ounce, bar spoon. Great cocktail ingredient. That's the aroma you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. Like you can, you know, like the, get an atomizer, spray it on top of your drink. Even, even if you're not a big fan of drinking Scott straight having this as a cocktail bartender is I think a requisite bottle to have for a bar program. Well, all right. I'll have to look back there the next time I'm up sitting at the bar, make sure they got one. <laughs> I mean, you have to walk out if they don't, but just don't order a penicillin there, I guess. 
you don't have Lefroy. Well, forget it. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Dad, for being here. Well, thank you, Tay, for having me. I always learn something, and I learned a, about a whole new thing I didn't know about today. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can uh, hit us up at our uh, our email account, boozecast at gmail.com. Um, anybody that's supporting us over there on our Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, you're the reason this podcast gets made. And uh, if you want to discuss how you feel about Peter Scotch or, I don't know, in anything, the like. The Boozecast group page on Facebook. We'll discuss that. your eating and repeating. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, I've been Katie Snow. I've been Tommy Smurl. And this has been me. nice to have on hand for special occasions now danny he drinks scotch my brother he drinks scotch all the time he's probably familiar with it i'll have to ask him ask my feels about the frog yeah <laughs>